1: Into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a
0: supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Oh I say it's amazing. He it does it tame and tame and tame again. Crank up the music
2: it like to do your job in front of 40,000 people? What's happened to the diving header? What's the most common spark for an argument between teammates on the pitch? What's the saddest ever example of goal music? What phrases should be banned from football commentary? And what's it like to plant your studs into the ankle of Robert Perez? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 105 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and alongside me is David Walker. Dave, I've done it again. I've got a co-host with the same first name as our guest. What if you cancel each other out? <laughs> well, I'm sure we won't
1: do, but uh, you're going to have to come up with like a football-y type nickname for one of us, aren't
2: you, I suppose? I suspect I might just. Yes, with us for Mesut harland Dicks this week is ex-Premier League ace turned Sky Sports presenter David Prutton. Hello, David.
3: Hello. I mean, part of that introduction is correct. The other part is a completely misleading. So take out oh. that what you will.
2: No, not at all. Um, <laughs> uh, we all know that Ace is a very flexible term. In book. It's
3: like legend getting tossed around <laughs> yeah. carelessly. I should, I should have told you that. That's another one that gets on my nerves. Go on.
2: Definitely. I mean, no, you, no legend Legend is, I mean, legend could be is. Perfectly up for debate. Yes. Ace simply means you existed and you kicked a ball yes. once. So that's fine. <laughs> really um, so, so let's address this, this burning issue of, of what we call each other. Um, Dave is Dave. I mean, I could call you David. Um, I could call you Pratt's. But that's a slippery slope. If I start calling you Prutz, I feel like I'd, I'd end up burning your clothes in the dressing room or something. Well, yeah,
3: and doing another. I mean, that, that was out of the things that I've seen with my own eyes with regards to what has gone on in a dressing room. I'd take that over some of the other stuff. And any anybody, I think, if you go too early, throwing your own nickname around can make you sound like a bit of a whopper. But I would mm. universally be known as Prutz in whatever tiny universe people Remotely, give a monkeys about what my nickname is. So, if that makes it easier for you, Adam, I'm I'm happy to answer to that.
2: The football cliches university is perfectly happy with pruts. <laughs> pruts it is. Um, do you know? I, I'm very grateful you, for you sparing your time for us because you know, in my head, you're preparing for a record 108th cap for England under 21s. <laughs> Do you know the real benefit
3: of being able to hoover up a lot of caps is getting on with the manager at the time, who was also your former club manager, uh, oh, David nice. Platt? Which was um, oh, he, he was um, it was Howard Wilkinson to start with, and then David took over, and then like you said, I got too old, and my international career fell off a cliff.
2: <laughs> oh, what a wonderful way of putting it! Well, oh, I'm glad. You, well, I'm glad you're taking it in fantastic humour. Um, do you know what our football cliches uh, intermittent fixer? Uh, the kind of pinny Zahavi of the football yes. podcast world, Phil Hay. He builds you as a, and I quote, clever mentalist. So I have high hopes for this episode.
3: Wow, I mean that's I mean that's as oxymoronic as you could possibly wish for as a description, isn't it? So I'll I'll take that. We'll soon see. In five minutes, you might pretend that the um, feeds dropped and you both bug, uh, buggered off. I <laughs> that,
2: we haven't got anybody else. Exactly. So we yeah. stick with Just talk
3: it. We're amongst yourselves, chaps, for the next hour.
2: Yeah, Dave. Now I was going to say to our guest, um, be gentle with us, but neither of us are Premier League linesmen circa two thousand and five, <laughs> so I I'm, imagine <laughs> we're probably safe. Aren't we? <laughs> Yes, I have watched the YouTube video in
1: preparation for this recording.
3: I mean, is it? it, Just give us it from purely your standpoint, chaps. I mean, in obviously at the time, it's the most it's the most heinous crime anyone's ever committed on a football field. With the benefit of hindsight, it's 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 comical. To say the least, I mean the 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 size of the kit I'm wearing, the hairstyle <laughs> that I'm—I mean, it's not too far from what I now the the hairstyle that I deemed to be pretty decent back in the mid-noughties, and um, just the general kind of uh, bizarrness to it all. Uh, from your points of view, how do you view? It? Is it something that you would um, allow your kids to see? Would would it affect the next generation? Or. Oh,
2: I- I'm not going to get too moral about it, absolutely not. I mean, I mean yeah, I, I, I veer towards the Barry Davis end of the spectrum of not wanting to see this sort of thing. But, I mean, my first thought about that incident when you kicked off against Arsenal in 2005 was that I didn't really know what you were complaining about. I mean, you absolutely took Perez apart with, with a studs-up tackle yeah. into his ankle. I mean, it's, it's the most straight red I've ever it's, seen, but yet it was still only a second it's yellow. It's still only a <laughs> second
3: yellow, and the first yellow was very close to a red anyway, to be fair. And I think yeah. that in in my hissy fit, which is a very uh, vanilla way of putting it, mm. I, I saw a grave injustice taking place before my very eyes, of course. And there was a picture on the Monday morning, I think in one of the papers, which showed the actual challenge, which had, I mean, my face contorted in yes. utter rage and, 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 and absolute frustration and a very straight leg with a very straight, stud set of studs on Robert Perez's um ankle which as he got stretched off and I was muttering in his di- general direction about his um the backbone of a player such a- of a great player such as that it was also very very tough questioning his his ability to stand a football pitch in that moment seeing it back so many times you're kind of going yeah he did well to actually play again after
2: that I think so <laughs> um Dave uh one of my other favorite bits about the episode is um is the linesman the you know the targeted linesman, just sort of looking away as if as if he, if he doesn't look at David Bratton, then, then he can't hurt him.
1: <laughs> yes, Paul Norman to give him his name. that was his name. Yeah,
2: yeah. So
1: he, I've just such read a I'm, linesman. I'm, isn't it? It's,
3: it's yeah. such a linesman though.
1: I'm reading the uh, the report from the Guardian from, from the time. <laughs> Who wrote it? He said, yeah, um, Matt Scott wrote okay, this report okay. in March 2005. Uh, Prutton admitted two counts of improper conduct for laying hands on Wiley in an attempt to reach the assistant referee, <laughs> Paul Rousers. Norman.
3: Rousers. <laughs> Rousers. Laying hands on Wiley. I mean, that. That's almost a euphemism, isn't it? You could use that for a, <laughs> yeah. a, a myriad of different I mean, and subsequently, I um, I know Alan really well. I actually worked with the um, PGMOL in the, in the summer, which, <laughs> which, which thankfully it's gone full circle, hasn't it, with regards to me sharing things we are all discussing and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, the, it jogged my memory. Actually, I was reading something this week that Henry Winter had written off, off the back of the Newcastle Spurs game and passing judgment on John Joyce Shelby coming on and getting subsequently sent off and just use one word after the sentence describing it of idiot, which I'm sure it brought back not not very deep-seated memories of it, but I think there was a lot of that with regards to the, the kind of summation of what I'd done. I mean, lots of idiots and um, lots of fingers being pointed at someone who looked mental.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, I think you've made your peace with it now. We're not, we're not here to... <laughs> I have done so he brought it up, for Christ's sake. I was totally over it, but now... <laughs> seven
3: years later.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that. Shelf, John J. Shelby, uh, report because when I typed into YouTube earlier on to, to attempt to find the uh, the footage, which is actually quite difficult, the first result that comes up on YouTube, if you type in David Pratt and Red Card Arsenal, is a video simply titled Idiot Pratton.
3: Which, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, the, 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 to the point, the, absolutely, the two words just dovetail. I think that, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's so succinct that you couldn't possibly wish for anything else. <laughs>
2: Oh, I might call you idiot, Prutton. From that <laughs> there, there could
3: be the that's, nickname, Adam. There you go. I'll do. It.
2: <laughs> this is this is too much fun. We're having too much fun. We've we've got a at Harland dicks to do here. Right, let let's get started. Um, uh, you bombarded me with your footballing loves, quite frankly, um, via WhatsApp. So I had to whittle it down to uh to three and maybe four if you're lucky. Tell us about your first one. First one is a. Uh, it's very sentimental.
3: It's being in a place where the same sentiment is getting shared by a hell of a lot of people at exactly the same town, be it a goal, um, be it the near miss, be it somebody going mental at a referee. Uh, everyone has got the same variation, that particular emotion. The big crowds and the big noise, the sights, the sounds, the smells. Uh, having listened to a lot of these podcast chaps, there's, there's not many people that would veer away from what that is because it is such a very, very primal thing and kind of connected into that. And, and having had the um, pleasure of, I say playing at Anfield, being there in body, but not necessarily <laughs> doing anything to affect what was going on with either 21 lads on the pit. Just trying not to be crap for the best part of an hour and a half in front of a lot of people. And then going back and working there and being able to hear uh, the cops sing you'll never walk alone. And, and what it means to not just people in Liverpool, but what it means to the wider football in uh, world is 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 one one of if not the, one of the the most moving sporting things you could possibly be part of. It's just a glorious communion of people who want exactly the same thing at that exact
2: time. So I mean, let, let's you know, we're we're constantly reminded of of the Anfield mm. atmosphere uh, from a playing perspective. Is it a, is it a particularly unique atmosphere to play in? It's just I mean, because of how football stadium has changed somewhat. It's
3: obviously still got that real tradition to it. It's quite pokey. Well, it was obviously quite pokey. Now, it's, I mean, you can drive mm. a bus right up to bloody the touchdown almost. What it was 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 quite pokey a lot of little back rooms. And then you go down the steps in the Anfield side and then you come back up and then you're into... Step- Are away players allowed to touch no, it? No, 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 I no. Mean, is that done fixed? that no, be weird. I, <laughs> I kind of... It's, it's, it is there and you see it and the opposite... not yours. No, no. And, and you don't want to get on anyone's nerves. You, you don't want to poke too many birds at Anfield. It's hard enough as it is trying to get in and not get spanked really but having been in and then being able to to um you you kind of walk up and, and there's not many stadiums where you walk up and then you're actually in the middle of the actual stadium because obviously you used to go down and come back up and bang you were there so it was it was a truly unique atmosphere and it is it's it's one of those where I don't want to kind of sound too twee about it but it's almost that kind of Forrest Gump moment where you find yourself stood in like the 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 background of something or or a scene and there is that kind of where you're scratching your head going what why how have I got here
2: and what what am I making? feel free to do a Forrest Gump impression like Neil Warnock if you that, like. that, was that was brilliant
3: and then I think Simon Jordan jumped on top of it as well to describe this shows how much I'm listening to sports media, football media he'd done it on his show with Jim White using the the um, box of chocolates analogy with with Spurs I think it was but yeah and, it, and it, it's it is one of those where and and then after that with, with with regards to performing at a place like that for an, for a, a player that would be in kind of my skill set, it's just about two sets of forty-five slash forty-eight minutes of total and utter concentration and not mm. hopefully putting a toe wrong, let alone a foot.
1: So before a game, if you're you know, you've gone out, you're on the pitch, mm. you're lining up at Anfield, you'll never walk alone. He's being belted out on the cop. Are you focusing completely on the match were you, were or Are you, you sort of taking it in?
3: You're trying to, but what, what they manage to do and the great thing about it is, and I, I'm not saying, the, the reason that they probably do it for that is because it's, it builds that crescendo just before kickoff. So there's not much of it when you're warming up, but as you are coming back out again and as the players are on the pitch, it's done to absolutely maximise what that place is and what that place means to the people and and the and the and the players on the pitch. But also the other side of that is obviously you get the opposition fans and the opposition players seeing it at exactly the same time and going, wow, that's, that's, that's crazy what they're doing there. And I think um, that's when you become aware of it. And then after that, that without getting too boring about the, the kind of fundamentals of what it would be to be a professional or what it is to be a professional sportsman. That's when the professional side of it got has got to kick in because you've got to, you've got to focus. You can't, your mind can't go wandering anywhere. You, you've got to make sure that you are, uh, Totally zoning because if, with the, t- the team that I went there with Southampton, it, it was greater than obviously the sum of its parts. So you had to make sure that what you were told to do for that specific period of time, you did.
2: Well, I mean that's enough sentiment for me because I'm 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 <laughs> rather more interested in um, uh, some minor technical points about how what it's like to play in front of a crowd mm. because because football fans I think take it take it for granted the the idea that you've got to perform in front of them, mm. and I'm I'm especially interested by a very specific scenario. So you're away from home, mm-hmm. you're 2-0 down, and the entire home crowd are basically gleefully ridiculing every attempt your team makes to drag themselves back into the game. Mm. Now, from my perspective, that looks, like, that looks like the most psychologically challenging thing in football is trying to overcome the fact that everyone, 40,000 people are just going, <laughs> ah, you're <a> shit. <laughs> Everything you try and do yeah. because their team are in a comfortable position. Is that the most mentally challenging environment to play in?
3: I would, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's, it's, it's possibly worse when it's your own team giving you a load of shit when you're not doing it <laughs> oh, sorry your own fans we're not we're not doing too yeah. well I tell you, the, the thing that so obviously working on games where there was no crowds and you had the augmented sound and all that type of rubbish you only got positive cheers and oohs and ahs didn't you and the first time we got back and you had a crowd and you and you were ah you thought yeah I, I've actually missed that yeah. that's that's Life of that's them. the uh, yeah. sarcastic side of what it is to be a footballer and there is an element of that. I, I quite in, in Revelled, I mean, I, I once uh, you probably you've probably seen from that clip on YouTube, I, I would be a little bit combative, but you can't take away from what that specifically is because it's 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 part of the match day experience. You have to go there, you have to perform, you have to deal with everything that's thrown at you, whether it's um ball boys that are uh, a bit kind of a bit turgid about coming and helping out you, particularly trying to get the ball back in play, or whether it's to do with mm. you being able to to battle up against. The team, the players, everything that's up against you. And the the great thing is, when you beat that, it's fantastic. When you lose, it's just so frustrating. It's frightening.
2: We'll um, we'll get on to uh, uh, mischievous ball boys very shortly, actually. Um, My final question about what it's like to play in front of a crowd. um, This is an off-repeated cliché. But I've never heard any anybody involved in football actually confirm it. Does the anxiety of a crowd actually transmit itself to the players?
3: No, the frustration does. The frustration, <laughs> right. absolutely. Well, you know but the, that that collective. There's not nothing more soul destroying than a uh, when when, the, uh, when it's mm. when it's you that's particularly misplaced the pass. When yeah, and you want to kind of make the point in that in that. Instant to everybody that's watching. it, I didn't mean to do that. Everybody, sorry, it's not gone to its intended target. I'm not doing it to piss you off or the manager or the players. I'm doing it because I've got the best intentions. It doesn't transform, but there are sometimes when you when you do get that little inkling when you do feel do feel what the crowd are feeling. But again, you've got, you've got to absolutely try and well attempt to block that out and get on with not being not
1: being average. Sometimes I think just to, to like try and relate this perhaps to our audience who play obviously play amateur football or whatever in the same way that they say it's easier to give a speech in front of a room of 5,000 people Mm. than a room of 15 Mm. I find sometimes if you are ever in a situation where you're playing like five-a-side, like I was last night, and there <laughs> happens to be like three little kids outside the pitch. Why do people
2: watch five-a-side? <laughs> Go away! They're just
1: knocking about, and they were they were just giving. There must have been about seven or eight, and they were just absolutely ripping it out of all of us every time we misplaced the pass. Was, I
3: know it's, that pitch. It's so awful. humiliating. Why
2: do
3: they do it? <laughs> I think that that Dave, that's such a good point because it because then it then it becomes specific then it becomes like that playground element of we're all looking at you specifically and mm. this group of five or six people are laughing at you and sharing in whatever misfortune that you're experiencing then with like you say with a, with a sea of people it's a bit i mean it's always great when you pick one out who is gesticulating you know direction, direct <laughs> anything Shit! I have made eye contact with him. Now,
2: I'm, Oh, <laughs> God, can, how can I never direct, uh, yeah. never directly engage one on one? How can like, I? That's yeah, that's, the, the
3: that's what you got to learn. It's like walking through crowds. Like fix that point on the horizon, which is which is always that set distance away that you're never going to get to it. Hence, I'm, I'm explaining to you what the horizon is there. Sorry, fellas. Yeah. It's just <laughs> a new thing. The
0: horizon.
3: <laughs> It'll never catch on. I thought you're going to sail over the edge. Um, so it, it always, yeah, because I remember having a privilege of playing in front of big crowds and not so big crowds. And we had Alan Nil at Scunthorpe of all places. And obviously, nil has gone on to do wonderful, wonderful things alongside Chris Wilder. But Alan Nil six and a half foot tall, stood by the dugout. The local Scunny, um, um the fellow with all the quips, just, Allen, Alan, <laughs> yeah, and like you think, I can hear him getting battered by someone behind the dugout because w- all of us are crap. And you're kind of thinking, that can't be what it got into management for at all. <laughs> that, and then obviously the next, when you see him further on down the line and he's high in Jose with Chris Wilder, you think, yeah, you deserve that. After putting in the hard yards at Glamford Park, you deserve the glamour that comes
2: with that. Yeah, he still looks like an assistant undertaker, but still, fine. <laughs> I mean, fair play to him. Uh, to the uh, assistant undertaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> right, okay, so we've set the scene. We've We've got the atmosphere going. We we've got the crowd going. Tell us about your second love The
3: second one is, uh, for some reason, as soon as I say this, it's Andy Gray that pops up in my head. It's diving mm. headers, which right. there is a lot of, Debate and conjecture. I mean, the, the the broader the broader aspects of heading footballs is is one that's um, very much up for public debate and quite rightly so. Yeah. But to to see one in all of its glory, the thumping header where the centre forward I'd say a winger, but wingers wingers are tough enough to do it would right. throw himself in front of a ball that possibly nowadays is gone for with. The foot or more often than not the wrong foot <laughs> And you think why has he got nowhere near that just throw yourself at it um and my my son is nine years old and he's he's learning not learning his trade like i'm trying to flog him to death get, <laughs> get him into an academy soon sooner rather <laughs> than later son they're they're on 10 grand a week by the time they're 11 yeah, it's wonderful say. um and he was he, he was chatting he was asking, asking i don't know why i was asking me christ about um can we practice diving headers and i was it was it was that so we'd done a, a, a couple with a very soft football. Let me let me reiterate yeah, that. Yeah. And I am trying to try get the trajectory right so he could kind of do it. And there's that timid kind of little jump at it, and then a couple of steps, and not not obviously take. And the minute he took off, I mean, knocked knocked the wind out <laughs> when he landed on his stomach. But the sense of kind of like gleam, like almost like the, it unlocked a door, like. Oh my word! Like the power on it, the direction on it, the commitment. I mean, he never said that, but I'm putting words in. His showing
2: own. a nine-year-old diving headers, it's like I'm not showing him black and exactly. white TV. This exactly,
3: is like this archaic way of launching a this pumped-up round thing towards the net. It was just wonderful, and it almost like it unlocks something in his mind. And I just don't think, without sounding like an old ex-pro and someone that watches a lot of football, they're not prevalent. Enough no, anymore? Are they? No. It's. No. It, 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 I, I, I presume you two may have discussed this at some stage, no. professionally or
1: privately. But no. my question no. is: mm. Were they ever prevalent, really? Or maybe, maybe <laughs>
2: that's a very good point. This golden age yeah. of diving headers.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: the golden age. Of... But maybe right there, maybe the fact that somebody like Andy Grace stands out for doing diving headers was. Because he was the only person that did diving headers back in the day.
2: Some, it was about you know, maybe, half a foot off the floor. Maybe, maybe, no the, maybe
3: there is a bit of that. Maybe, I mean, maybe, it's, it's, maybe they've done away with the horizontal and it's all about the vertical now. It's Ronaldo seven foot in the air, like poised, ready to pound. Mm.
2: The only theory we've ever posed on this podcast about this when we've discussed it is that a ball arriving at diving header height mm. is basically never going to be intentional. It's not something you'd ever plan. No, it's an underhit so, cross. So it's either going to aim you're you're going to you're going to stick it on somebody's mm. head where intended, or you're putting it you know it's a cut across yeah. the floor. So crosses have just got better. <laughs> is that the only way <laughs> we can beat that? Such it? a pitches and crosses are a better, wonderfully positive way, way to put, put it.
3: The, yeah, the 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 progression in crossing caused extin- the extinction of the diving header. I think that's
2: yeah, I could see that. I, um... To pick up on a point um, you just made about teaching your son how to. Had to perform diving headers, Dave. I mean, I've never thought about diving headers as something anybody would practice. <laughs> I thought it was just something you know, you just, you just, you just, you know, just pluck it. out of out yeah. of your out of your kind of muscle memory, out of nowhere in 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 a time of need. Yeah, it, well, it feels to me like a completely improvisational
1: skill. Yeah, yeah. definitely. A, as you just said about the crossing, it's it's a reaction to uh, a cross that's under here or over here or is bounced. The defender's missed it and it's bounced, and you've just got to get something on it, like. I mean, but also it would be, you know, be like...
2: You're not going to do a what, head, t- diving t- headers. Right, and...
1: lads, today's session, diving-headers. Yes!
3: yes
2: exactly.
3: <laughs> do, you, do you know, the funny thing is, you've said that, and that's just completely jogged my memory. We used to, when I was at Nottingham Forest, when Paul Hart was in charge, so Paul had us in the U team, and we used to play these 2v2s in what would have been a 10 by 10 uh, square uh, it's probably called i mean marcelo bielsa probably calls it murder ball now but we were doing it twice yeah, okay. 20 however many
2: oh i see right you know
3: what i mean these these things yeah. are cyclical chaps don't worry about that <laughs> Plus nine we did it 20 no we didn't we, we didn't <laughs> have a very good number nine so and there was an element of doing that where you had two v two two little girls and you just and it was as much about character building as it was about skill because we just leathered each other to death but part of that was a slalom drill where you had to run to to a like touch a cone on the diagonal, get down, get down, and then throw yourself through a muddy patch doing a diving header into right. a goal. So we <laughs> bizarrely practiced that, but it's um, something along the lines that like you're saying, Dave. Of it's like saying, "Right, lads, today it's your um, overhead kick finishing session." What? <laughs> When's that ever gonna happen? And then suddenly, it's 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 about being able to improvise, as you say, doing the right thing. For a crap ball, I mean, I mean, Trevor Sinclair. Let's let's be honest. It, I, I, he actually mentioned the fact that he, he practiced it in training, which I, I think I, I think it was Max Rushton talking to him, who was incredulous. He said, "Come on, you weren't practicing doing that in training, waiting for the ball at the perfect height." Well, yeah, of course we are. You kind of think it exactly. really, really were you? But yeah, it's yeah, completely practice something
2: that relies on somebody else doing something perfectly <laughs> exactly.
3: in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. 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 If you could, if you, know what... you could underhit this cross at all times, I might be able to have a diving <laughs> header on it.
2: Um, diving headers got me thinking that if you take a step back from it, I mean from football generally, and you look at it and think who the hell invented this because it's it's a bit of a weird thing to do with your body <laughs> kicking a ball. I mean and propelling a ball with your body is, is basically quite an absurd thing. But I think diving headers are the most logical extension of that. It it's such a weird thing for someone to decide that they're going to do. So we asked our listeners what is the weirdest standard way of Footballer propels a ball. Um, Sam warms us up with throw-ins. The only thing more weird than throwing a ball like that are all the silly rules you have to follow while doing it. I know you've got a bit of a bee in your bonnet about throw-ins, but that didn't quite make the final list. It's
3: just completely vanished. How many times do you watch a game now where you're thinking, that's definitely a foul throw? But unless it's literally the one where he's got his head, he's got the hands in front and just drops it on the floor, the referee will then blow. The amount of times covering football, as I'm privileged to do across different countries... It's the, the death of the throwing, lads, is a very, very real
2: thing. Andrew Lorne takes this up another level. He says, The weirdest ball propulsion method for me is the pec-slash-shoulder flick, <laughs> primarily because it looks odd, but also because it generates almost no power, and I don't think anyone is really sure whether it's handball or not. Um, I mean, this reminds me, Prutz, that... I mean, I'm against chesting generally, mm. unless it's cushioning the ball. I don't like chesting being used as a pass. No. I think it's very pretentious yeah. and a bit too showy.
3: Yeah, i really sure. I think no it's got it. to be there purely as a means of control for you, mm. purely for yourself to do something else with your knee, your foot, whatever. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, having never had a chest capable of that, nor playing with any players that did have a chest capable of that, it, it would have been... Uh, I, I think the great thing would have been if someone chest passed it to you and you just walked away in disgust mid-game. Like, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. Kick it, pa- pass it to me now. Now it's on the floor. But seriously, none of, none of the, the pegs stuff.
2: Dave, on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning, are there any sort of uh, passages of play that just make you think, this whole thing is absurd. Why do we do this? Well, yeah, the whole thing, really. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with you. Like, I've often sat there just, just watching football or whatever, let yeah. alone playing it. You just think... This is mental. Like just, just head, head. The, the one really for me is is, is heading the ball mm. from, from a goalkeeper's kick or kick out the hands. And you obviously do it. You have to get your head on it. Don't let it bounce, all that stuff. But then when you think about it afterwards, you think an object is coming out of the sky at
2: a rate of velocity. And my job is to stand underneath <laughs> it and let it hit me on the head. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I'm glad we're all coming around to this idea. I mean, uh, as Pratt suggested, it is a very serious issue. But I think there is a more fundamental thing here. It's weird. Why do we do it? So, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe we could just get rid of headers. Well, like, I mean, it, it appears guys, possibly yeah. that could be the way it's going to go. OK, so, yeah, you know, so we've, we've sold football. We've we've <laughs> deconstructed it and realised how ridiculous it all is and that, that really having a long career in football is actually a complete waste of time. So, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, tell us about your, your third love of football. This is very curious. One,
3: It's curious. And again, I've got a very specific player in mind that did it, Ben Olsen, who came on loan, I think, from D.C. United to Forest around the turn of the millennium. Um, and it's something I've actually I've done myself, and I see it a lot of times. It's slightly different now because these holdings are now ginormous and all very electronically based. But back in the day when you could shift them around, um, the, the ball bouncing out, over the hoardings into the first row or onto the track at the city ground where you could leap it, maintain momentum, get back over, take the throw. It always gave the crowd that buzz. If you were chasing the game, if you were on the attack, it never, it was something that always, I've never seen it met with derision or frustration or disgust from the homes, it's always, yeah, like, you know, what
2: I mean, it really gives everyone a big lift. It should be, it's a bookable offense. David well, they, Patton.
3: I mean, if it also flouts the laws at the same time, I'm extremely happy about that. I mean, obviously, jumping the hoardings a la Eric Canton is a slightly different thing, I would say <laughs> yeah, so. and, yes. and that's that's a different connotation altogether. But I always, it, it was just a glorious thing. I can, I can, I can picture Ben Olsen doing it now jumping over, his hair wafting in the breeze, jumping back over, possibly taking Lovely. a foul-throwing because he's American.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: <laughs> and uh, And it, it just been something that propelled a team on, something that always kept a team going and, and just something that's very boring in maintain momentum but
2: otherwise was a glorious thing to see. My issue with this. I mean, whilst I quite like the urgency yeah. of, of mounting an advertising hoarding to go and do this thing yourself, you're overriding the ball boy service, the dedicated service provided to you by ball boys. Yes. Um, don't deprive them of their job. This is their duty.
3: Yeah, you, no, I can say that, Adam. You're absolutely right. And again, throwing it throwing it back to talk about myself. Um, when we, Because when we were trainees at Forest, we were the ball boys on a Saturday afternoon. We were the... Of so we... I'm not saying that they... Um, would treat us any differently the professionals. I'm not saying they were nicer to lads that are coming off the street, but I mean, you were up and up and ready to go if the ball went even half a yard past the touchline and it, it does negate possibly what they are there for. But um, I, I, I always just like that fact of taking the matters into that, like, almost like even better if they shoved the ball boy out the way, get yes. the ball and keep going, almost like like dismissing you literally out of hand, get out the way. I've got, got things to get on with, mate. I, that's why I liked him
2: better. Funny you should say that, because of um, it would be remiss of us not to revisit perhaps the ultimate act of ball boy disrespect. This is Joe Hart in the 2014 World Cup versus Italy. Wow. Jesus Christ. Whilst whilst bearing in mind the context of it, England presumably chasing the game, I'm sure they were, or chasing a goal. Stop it's a World dancing. Cup. It's a big deal. I still find it astonishing. I still find it astonishing. I, I mean, that's, is, is that the same game with
3: the Pirlo Penenka? Possibly. No, that was 2012. Was it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. 2012. Well, that, I mean, that I, I was trying to work out why that, that, Extreme anger was, was there. It was, well, it was
1: post. It was post Panenka. So that you know, it was probably still living still, with him. Still, yeah,
3: still living. Re- <laughs> what, what's the phrase? Living rent free in the head. Um, yeah. yeah, I
2: mean that- Pierlo had just hit the bar with a with a, with a free kick. Right. So he was being tormented right. by Pierlo. by this. That, I mean, that's especially
3: at a big tournament like that where they're really quite officious about. Ball boys or ball, ball people, they called. ball kids. That's what yeah. they call that. out oh, let's mm. let's let's get that correct.
2: No, that FIFA speak for a ball boy would be. Um, let me think. Sort of diminutive <laughs> um, sphere servant or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: that would fit, and and they'd have had a think tank paid millions and millions of pounds to come up with that. No, yeah. Um, See, so, I mean, I mean, that's astonishing. I understand being stuck into a, a not a game of that magnitude, but I mean, I, it's probably never been that irate about anything in his life, has he?
1: And yeah. it's only a few seconds either. It's not, yeah, it's like, not... It's not like he's been waiting for ages. Yeah. The ball goes out uh, from, for a, on the other side of the pitch and he turns around immediately, mm. expecting it to be there right away. <laughs> and he also, he also absolutely leathers the hoarding in the manner yeah. of Tamuri it, But he yeah. doesn't flinch, but I bet it hurt. Of course, uh, course it does. People wouldn't like that. <laughs> no.
2: Don't kick the hoardings. Definitely don't do that. I'm just trying to work out what the scenario would have been. I mean, the ball obviously bounced into the middle of nowhere in a massive stadium. Mm. So that ball was out of commission, clearly. Yeah. And I reckon the ball boy went to run after it and went, oh, shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh, and and, and the, this poor kid getting absolutely uh, uh, harangued. So, to, m-
3: maybe there's a lead to be taken from tennis tournaments, just like ball kids there mm. with just a bag of like loads of balls.
2: Carrying loads. And, to and throw balls.
3: them back in because they, they, they give it the Joe Hart rule. Anything, less than, anything that takes longer than two seconds to get the ball back and you're well within your rights to give them an absolute volley of abuse.
1: Well he'd be he have been kicked out of the tournament for that behaviour at Wimbledon, no doubt about yeah, it. But then but then actually yeah. I mean half an hour later he was out of the tournament anyway. So
3: Screaming at this point. little
2: girl yeah. saying, Sc- like, <laughs> Give <me> a fucking girl. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. So so all the all all these, in your pocket, it's fine. All these all these kids from like Harrow wherever they come from. Yeah. yeah. M- Mother, I can't scream dad today. Yes, yeah, give me the fuck. Um
2: we asked our listeners for uh, um Perhaps more subtle examples of uh, ball boy-related mischief. Um, we all, of course, remember Eden Hazard belting the uh, Swansea ball boy. That's, that's well known. This one's Belted. rather less well, <laughs> rather less well documented. Um, Jake Murray says, At Spurs Villa a few weeks ago, I'm sure I saw a ball boy throw one of Matty Cash's sideline towels. In their attacking third, over the advertising hoarding, pretty funny as a Tottenham fan, as they kept putting us under pressure with those throws, but also questionable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ball boys shouldn't be shouldn't be doing extracurricular activity like this, prats. They shouldn't be affecting the game. Don't don't touch the towels. I, the towels I, I, I think um, was that so that was so that that's as as an
3: away side. That's what was happening to Villa, was it? Because I, yeah. I, I think that no, I think that's absolutely right. If you if you're at home with your own ball, they should do anything to piss off the opposition side <laughs> come running for the ball roll it to his mate down or to their mate down the touchline and he possibly rolls it so you've got like a pro in between these two kids getting tormented throw like pig in the middle throw it over his head can we get it if you want to get the ball but anything anything it's that gives you violence. anything that yeah exactly that's the great thing that um there's, there's a very quick that's that that's the seed of most things in football you can't do it because it incites violence no matter what it is it will incite <laughs> violence that's why no one's allowed to do anything at all that shows <laughs> any character around a football pitch cuz it incites fun but i would i would love that just, just lots going. of lots of going. ball boys uh, ball kids just really in full home kits, just really pissing off the opposition with the way that they monitor the footballing situation.
2: Did he throw the towel onto the pitch? No, I think I think he threw it
3: away oh. out of
1: reach. So I thought he was. I thought maybe he was like a boxing fan <laughs> and he was trying <laughs> to make a point.
2: Villa had done here, yeah. No, yeah. That, that would have been that would have been yeah a little bit too evocative, perhaps. Do you know what? Uh, perhaps, you're going well, you're in good form here, so I'm going to allow you a bonus (laughs) love of football, only because I really like this one. Tell us about it. It's
3: it's the argument that occurs between... What normally would be very dear um, colleagues uh, when the Saturday afternoon drama comes around or Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night, whenever football gets played nowadays, it's the argument between two teammates, which Mm. um, I I do draw a line. If if we've seen something recently where we've got a goalkeeper dusting up his own defender, which you, you kind of think, yeah, I mean, I understand Possible frustration on a football pitch. But, and again, it, it's quite, it's something that I remember specifically because I've been, funny enough, lads, I've been in a situation where I've fallen out with a teammate, two in fact. One of them was at Stoke City and it wasn't where, and it, I don't think it was a Tuesday, but it was certainly uh, something that we were making hard work. It was, I was at Forest, it was with Jim Brennan, former Canadian international. For some reason, I was playing on the left hand side of midfield, which Jesus Christ. And he was behind my left back and we fell out about something to the point where the ball had bounced out of play, I've turned round to make my very well-worded point to Jimmy. And Jimmy was calling me everything under the sun and we were backwards and forth. To the point where we were about five yards away, pointing like, like a couple in a supermarket, arguing, arguing over something tedious, like you've got the wrong coffee or the wrong brand of beans. And to the point where this section of the crowd, which was as you come out the tunnel in the corner, was the big stand to your right-hand side. The fans were going,
2: eee! <laughs> That's the only reaction <laughs> which kills it completely. I'm like, oh, you, you, you're, you're
3: fucking rubbish. Like, no, you shouldn't. You had a chance You pat and then backwards and forward. And they're just like almost with the comical handbags, like, Look at my oh, so, I suppose that does diffuse matters. It, oh, completely. Really? And we got, we, I yeah. think, we got a bollock in our time from Paul Hart. As if I think, it, I think Paul's taken it might have been because obviously, big bugger of, of, a, of a certain era where he would have mm. probably knocked someone out. Saying, well, if you're going to have an argument, you might as well have a dust-up at the same time. Yeah. Don't do what you did there, it looks pathetic. <laughs> Which I thought was <laughs> absolutely... And the, the other one that stands out was, when I was at Southampton, we played at um, Villa Park with Anthony anti goal. Again, another mm. fellow that I got on with really, really well. And it, it was that very clichéd outfield player <laughs> looking round at a goalie. Uh, uh, something along the lines of, can't you just catch <laughs> And there's a picture where ante's, it's post-shove, and my neck is, and my head's back. Not quite wild of fury, but far enough back to suggest that he's just basically gone, sod off. (laughs) Just launched me with his club. And again, he probably had a good point, as Jimmy probably did. Shut up, get on with your game, stop pointing the finger.
2: When it comes to teammates' disagreements, I mean, misplaced Mm. passes are always the genesis of this, perhaps. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think, I'll tell you another one as well, which is something that always wound
3: managers and players alike was the, the throwing up of the arms as if to say how am I playing with this shower shit mm. which mm. always always was a red rag to a ball to me because it probably reinforced the fact of what I was thinking myself with all the self-loathing going on at playing play football thinking oh shit he's seen through me he knows I can't find him with a pass but it, it was it was like the ultimate like we're a team here we're meant to, all mm. the kind of fundamentals of, of what team sport's about but the 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 misplaced pass was always one that was... And it, and, it, and again, it goes back to it, the fans getting, uh, with them uh, being frustrated about the ball not going where it needs to be. But it, it's almost like, do I have to explain to you that I didn't mean to not pass it to you? Yeah, Surely no, you must know yeah. it defeats the purpose, the object of us all being together. Like me not mm. giving the ball to the same colour shirt knackers the whole concept of what team football is.
2: I, you're absolutely right. that there There is the universal body language of... Who the hell am I playing with here? This is a lot of absolute rubbish. But um, this is one of those rare things in football, Dave, that is completely universal from top to bottom. And does this sort of thing happen at Ribblesdale Rovers on on a Sunday? Because I'm thinking the most classic, the most guaranteed Sunday league disagreement would be striker against defender. Striker look sort of shouting back 40 yards going, what the hell are you lot doing? With a complete lack of appreciation of the job that they have to do.
1: Yeah, usually... usually st- Fuck's sake, don't let it bounce! That's brilliant.
3: (laughs) That's the cardinal sin of any defender. Like, anywhere near the 18-yard
2: box, don't let it bounce. Again, it's one of those things do any other country really care about it bouncing? <laughs> uh, it, it does feel like a curiously British obsession it about so bouncing. So
3: so uh, uh, and the uh, second ball Trump second ball's life. another another lovely shout, isn't it? Which is Yeah, absolutely. I mean you can build it you can build a very mediocre fifteen year career on getting on the second ball yeah. world, I can tell you that. <laughs> mm.
2: But no, yeah, teammate disagreements do they tend to escalate from the initial incident all the way up to basically high-level <laughs> observations on the general footballing ability of the two people in question. And it just basically comes out to me, I'm better than you. And that's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. And strikers versus defenders at Sunday League is often a very one-sided affair, I, I fear.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look at that!
0: That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés.
2: Welcome back to Football Clichés. This is Mesa Holland Dix. This is David Pratton and he's about to tell us all about the things he hates about <laughs> football. What's your first one? Hates, hates, hates. Wow. Um, my first one is, is
3: about the kind of um, vernacular used when it comes to describing football. Having moved into uh, being mm. able to talk, well, I say being able to talk about, being afforded the opportunity to talk about it, which is a wonderful thing, in my opinion. That's obviously purely subjective if you're listening to this. The, the kind of well-used <laughs> tropes with regards to sentences, there and there or thereabouts is one, it, it just means absolutely nothing. Seeing them given could apply to literally everything on the planet. Like, it, it's not, it's it's just an all-encompassing, vague, chucked-out statement, which mm. having had the pleasure of being in a position where you can't, you're a pundit, you're talking about stuff and you're commentating and then
1: no one has ever said, you know what? You know what Fletch?
3: I've <laughs> never, never seen, seen that, that given before in my whole <laughs> life. I've <have laughs> never seen that given. That's never. Always oh, given it. <laughs> oh, na- now I have seen it given. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's it's great because we, we all, we kind of really deep dive and really drill down into listening to football, don't we? Cause we all love it. And we, and we're very quick to pull people up on football cliches, aren't we? And uh, very, mm. very quick to, um, Pointing the finger and 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 castigate people for not saying the right things at exactly the right time. So I understand how tough it is. And I understand working having worked with brilliant commentators and brilliant guests and, and people that can deliver that in the right possible way in the moment is, is a gift is a genuine gift and it's something that we all love and appreciate and really thoroughly enjoy. But they're almost like filler words, aren't they? It's like if you were typing out a a WhatsApp and it just says typing. You might as well just say and it was a, 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 about the d- decision that's made me meant says typing, typing, typing. Oh, it's been given. All right. And I've seen them been given now, so it's—I mean—they're just nothing phrases that are chucked out just to fill portions of of silence. Which, to me now, having worked in it for a little bit, I'm actually quite yeah. glad of the silence. Just stop talking. Just don't say <laughs> it. Just stop, and then we'll move on again. And I just stare at them, and then we move on again.
2: Um, well, I mean, it's good that you care about this sort of thing because, of course, you're you're a rare example of of a player who's gone on to ultimately to presenting, which is I, I think is you know relatively rare. I mean, punditry seems to be the the kind of the easier option. So, at what point did you decide I don't want to be the guy who's asked which manager is happier at halftime? I want to be the guy who asks exactly. which manager exactly. is going to be happier at halftime. It looks
3: marginally more authoritative. Why is, that
2: more into- Why is that Why was that um, um, the option?
3: For I you? was I was asked by Sky when I was working early on with them due to a, a, a different circumstances, which meant that there were games that needed to be um, <laughs> needed to be presented, um, and. Was something that I'd seen at close quarters with some very, very talented people, and just thought it looked um, like a challenge. It looked like fun. It looked something that could be quite
2: exhilarating, and it is all of those things, absolutely. Um, and it means that you you'll get to watch West Brom on a Friday night for the rest of your life, exactly, exactly, and yeah. exactly. With, with my feet up, eating
3: as as much as much chocolate and drinking as much coffee as I possibly can. But I, it's it, and I, I I enjoy it without getting too deep and meaningful about it. I enjoy conversations as you can probably tell christ almighty and um but just sharing space with people that
1: have got a similar passion for this but that's interesting to game. me, right because because hearing you talk today talking to you today you come across to me as that you'd be a brilliant pundit <laughs> because you're clearly very you're, you know you're eloquent intelligent you're very happy to talk and yet you're doing the role where you talk less than the other people that's a
3: that's a very good point though i, I don't know whether that's yeah i mean is it kind of reverse egotism I don't don't quite know what that is that's um but I I love yeah when you do commentary and when you have got the chance to be able to to give it's like Christ we that's all we do all day every day is give our Mm -hmm. opinions and give of ourselves or give out the perception of who we want to be and how we want to be taken that's whether it's talking about football whether it's talking to your kids or Whoever or your friends, your misses, wh- whatever. That's it's always putting forth what you are, and that, I mean, obviously, we're talking about a game of football, which ultimately is meaningless. But it to, to be able to to discuss it, I, I think is is a, a really rare mm. privilege, and it's um. I, but the thing is, as well, from my point of view, without sounding horrendously ambitious, is the the kind of f- football that I would work with would 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 always hit a ceiling with regards to giving my opinion on it. Absolutely, it's not like perhaps, yeah. we've had a dropout for. Super Sunday or the World Cup final, can you come and give... Yeah, well, when I was at Scunny, I was in a very similar <laughs> position here when, when the ball boy wouldn't give me the ball back and somebody was shouting from the crowd. And just looking at you going, no, we don't quite think that fits, mate. Unfortunately. Don't rule yourself out. <laughs> don't rule yourself out
2: at Super Sunday. It's going to happen. You've got time on your side. Exactly. It's but, gonna, it's
3: gonna be but then and then what I also like with that is, and coming across these big stellar people that you kind of meet in the shadows at Sky or on, on, on site is... Everyone's got the fun, same fundamental love for it. People describe it in different ways. People dissect it in different ways, but it will always boil down to the to the to the same thing, regardless of who's playing. It's who's having the better day collectively over the course of that ninety minutes um, that will win the game. Absolutely, will be the case. Whereas you see these cup shocks, that's what happens. Where you see bottom beating top, an off an off day with someone who's got hundred million quid worth of talent going forward, it fundamentally relies on the human, and that is why I think it's practically perfect
2: to focus on some of these offensive <laughs> phrases not not literally offensive, offensive i've but got o- loads of those offending <laughs> phrases let's say i mean these these are the tools of your trade in in, in some respects mm. the, some of them are perfectly fine to use they're, they're, none of them are too bad i mean oh, we, here we are speaking to a man who used the word totemic <laughs> on sky sports one as far back as 2014 Wowzers. so clearly you take your vocabulary very seriously i remember being very impressed by it <laughs> wow
3: did you see, did you see the look on my face where i went Hopefully, I've used that in the right. Oh,
2: it was lovely. <laughs>
3: it's that was lovely. Yeah, I mean, where I, yeah, again, without boring i I loved English at school. I conversationally, I love daft things. I love. I love uh, when you say I like music. That makes you sound like a total dick. <laughs> yeah, <it> but, does. <laughs> but it, what what would suck me in? Uh, because I, I, I've got a, it's a, it's quite a, a, g- a general opinion about what sucks you into music. It's, it's either the melody or the lyrics, and I. It's the it's the it's the kind of melody that draws you in, and it's, and it's the lyrics that really kind of hit it home. I think with the, with the perfect song. So I'd always make sure that you'd read the lyrics and see. And and anyone that was wonderfully um, flexible with the way that they use the words has always appealed to me. And, and some of the, the best commentators, I think, I texted you about that. And and you've had him on the likes of Peter Drury, John Champion, um, lads who are really. I could list loads: Dave Farrow, Gary Weaver, Daniel Mann, I mean, all the ones that we work with um that delivery delivery <laughs> it, ironic that i got the word delivery <laughs> wrong there was it <laughs> that's like a misplaced pass i feel like i could you like, went to get it to get it right and those iconic moments the and there, there is a sky advert and sorry for shoehorning this in where it says it's, it's only live once which i'm obviously if you read it wrong it's only live once which is so <laughs> a really eggy bond film um yeah. it's um and it's absolutely right and to get it done like Martin Tyler does at the right time, the Aguero moment, things mm-hmm. like that, yeah, like trying to explain to someone that's come from a different planet to go, sorry, someone's shouting over a lot of people terrassing around in shorts. Yeah. That's, that's genuinely moving. You go, sorry, no, it is. It, it absolutely is. And the right words at the right time is an absolute gift.
2: I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the line that you draw between um, what's acceptable and not acceptable in terms of football cliche. So we asked our listeners for phrases they'd like to ban from footballs. So here's a small selection. Simon Trainer said, "I'd ban the post slash crossbar got in the way, came to the keeper's rescue, as if it's some sort of animate object. Um, I mean, does that frustrate you? I, I, I quite quite like it. I think it's quite evocative. This kind of this sense that something might be conspiring against the person who was trying to score the goal. I think it's okay. That works. Yeah, that, it, the, the the one that it, so you see the Done in one
3: where the goalie is, is beaten, all ends up by." Um, uh, you see, I mean, the agonising look over his shoulder as, as, his, as his fingertips are clawing towards the top corner and it hits the bar and bounces out. Or the one where he's stood stranded as it's, as it's come off the backside of some kind of astute defender that's in front of him and rolls agonisingly towards the bottom corner only to spin out. I think that, that, that is absolutely correct in those circumstances, I think. Yeah,
2: quite right. Yeah, adds, adds a sort of layer of intrigue <laughs> to it all. Dave, uh, Mosin writes and says, referring to loaning out players as farming out. <laughs> needs to be banned ASAP. Absolutely horrible phrase. I, I mean, I have to say, I can't. I'm, I'm not massively emotionally struck by it, but it is weird, It is a weird thing that we all say "farming out," but it's a very specific type of loan, isn't it, Dave? Right? Farmed out on loan. I feel like you don't really hear that much anymore. Who gets farmed I out? I haven't heard that for a while. Who would Who be gets farmed? farmed? I feel like you had to be. A good young player, but not like an elite one. The Chelsea players who go on four loans. That's farming.
1: You know, consecutively. You know, Papi Gilabogi has probably been farmed out on loan again this season, hasn't he? Somewhere.
2: If you're going to Vitesse, you're being farmed. I mean, oddly enough, um, Prutz, I looked at your career path. You moved clubs nine times in your career, but I don't think you were ever farmed out. You were just too good. As a kid, uh, let me think. Was a f- as a kid? No, yeah, I, I had the, the the great
3: fortune of lots of injuries, which made me get into the first team very quickly at Forest, oh, a- which was uh, which was good. I got farmed out towards the end. The very last place I was at was um, I was farmed out from Sheffield Wednesday to Coventry, which uh, is
1: it farming out at the end though? Uh, oh, is that it, more it, not being put out to pasture? Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, pretty, yeah <laughs> very yeah, good. good. That
3: is perfect. Very good. that is absolutely perfect. I mean, from from a from a a farming analogy background. That's, that's absolutely superb. And I think, yeah, it was absolutely part of pasture. It, I mean, it was borderline sent to the slaughterhouse. I'll, I'll be really <laughs> honest because it was, um, as I was driving down, I, I got a phone call off my mate saying, oh, you have to Coventry then. I said, yeah, yeah, it's sent to Coventry. And then he mm-hmm. said, did they still play at Northampton? And I went, Oh, Christ, they do, don't they? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's
2: oh, a great Jesus start to a not knowing Christ. where the club's playing. And then the, first, was in the, then, the
3: first game that we played was a home game at Sixfields and pulling up, oh, decent crowd here, forgetting that there was a cinema shopping complex. <laughs> it was a Saturday afternoon and everybody was going there.
2: <laughs> or watching, watching Toy Story Four or something. Like that. Yeah,
3: I think it would have been the first or the second one. I think. Oh, All right, playing. yeah, yeah, it's a long time ago. What am I talking <laughs> yeah, about? Star yeah, Star Wars.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, um, maybe this is a good test for whether you would use this in your in your presenting context. <laughs> Dave Bushell says um, he really hates it when a presenter asks, "Was that a case of Team A playing well or Team B playing badly?" And then when the pundit simply says, probably a bit of both, <laughs> would, you, would, you,
3: would you accept that? I'll be, I'll, you, I mean, you'd want more Yeah, you would. That, right? and, and, and I'm sorry to say that I, I have used that on occasion. I've also, <laughs> th- there's another one which is, good save or bad miss? <laughs>
2: which is awful, isn't it? It
3: is, can't be both. Which is, and this is the great thing about coming on here. I will forever, and I swear, if you're remotely bothered about watching what we do, I I will be very gladly pulled up uh, for using that because as you say it, it's not even a question is it it's just it's just a lot of words put together which fill well, what thirty seconds
2: I'm afraid to say you are a man employed to present football broadcasting you are guaranteed to ask that question. In the next twelve to eighteen months, at least a dozen. Times. The, the
3: sad thing is, you two have to watch every single thing that I do now, just to make sure that I don't. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Okay.
2: <laughs> I mean, have to watch the championship. Yeah, exactly. For God's do, sake! I have to
3: explain to you what that is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, no, I will. I will. Right, next up, uh, this is your second hatred of football. This is very, this is very much close to games gone territory. Mm. Um, quite like it. Tell us. about It's it. it's. And the thing, the the song that jumps out as soon
3: as I think about this is is a song that I've liked from a band that I like. It's Goal Music. Um, Obviously, Mm. it's the back of the net. Song 2 comes blasting out, which obviously is from a Blair album in the 90s, which has got some very good songs in it. Again, it's a song that's been played that much at that specific time that's completely ripped the arse out of it now. So it's mm. one that I wouldn't make a beeline for. But anything, and it dovetails into what we said at the very start about what you love about football, anything that dilutes that specific moment of joy and euphoria. I, I've, I've never heard a, a goal go in with music to follow that I've thought, oh, Christ, that's, that's really added to the atmosphere here. It's, it's, that's really good. This, this really, good. really interesting.
2: Mm. I mean, Dave... The the idea of it is fairly clear. It's it's this kind of artificial attempt to, to generate atmosphere after a goal goes in, if you even needed it. But no one's really ever thought about what makes good goal music or indeed bad goal music. I mean, what sort? I mean, song two kind of does lend itself. It's 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 a yeah, it's, it's a very mm, obvious mm. kind of um, rhythm, and it it's kind of it suits a goal going in. But I mean, what sort of song would you want to hear if you absolutely had to after a goal goes in at Watford, for example?
1: Well, I don't know whether I'm making this up or not, but when when researching this, when, you, when I saw this was one of the options, I was thinking back, have Watford ever had goal music? And I'm sure we did in the uh, in the sort of early to mid '90s, And I I think it was Eat My Goal by Collapsed Lump. I okay. think it was. But again, I, it was so, it just didn't land. So no, the goal crowd, in the title.
3: It's then. even worse, yeah, the, the c- fact it's got goal in I the know. title.
1: The crowds were, were not great, so it wasn't you know no, no amount of music or whatever could raise the atmosphere. But the, but the central problem with goal music for me is that nine times out of ten it is completely unnecessary. It's <laughs> attempting to it's attempting to solve a problem that doesn't need to be solved because yes. the crowds sing. They <laughs> sing. They have songs to sing when goals go in. You don't so need
2: this. L- let's try and examine this phenomenon chronologically. I was trying to work out perhaps mm. what the kind of the original what what really sparked all of this and i suspect it's probably this <laughs> so this is this is middlesbrough right this would have been Middlesbrough. Did Bolton play it? That, what did Bolton play? It, it's. I mean, and the video
3: as well. That that's, that brings back memories of watching VH1 a very very long time ago. That 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 is exactly right. That is, I that that deeply anchored embedded memory has now been blown to pieces by Perfecto All Stars being the soundtrack mm. to that goal going
2: in. That's exactly what it was. I don't think anybody. If you are if you if you told someone the song title, Dave, I think. If they were of a football persuasion, they would now hear it in their head with a kind of muted crowd behind them, and not the original. (laughs) That's how deeply embedded it is. And you'd probably have a player
1: you'd associate it with, because that's also you you know that also kind kind of yeah uses can be used as a chant, can't it? Yeah,
2: that's true. uh, So yeah, so I mean,
3: it's such a specific thing, and 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 Dave's absolutely right. It's solving a problem that isn't there. You've not had to explain to crowds for um, eons the fact that you come in and. Football makes you feel a certain thing, that feeling makes you make a certain noise. You've not had to explain. So when the ball goes in that thing, you can shout as loud as you want. Do do whatever you want, it's great. And you're like, oh, I've never knew that. Thanks for telling me that. But it, it it soundtracks something that does need doesn't need anything other than than the sheer human emotion. Yeah. I mean the music around football I always think is um interesting anyway. We when we did the playoff finals in the summer, they had I can't remember which what which which final it specifically was, but obviously it wasn't it wasn't packed out. But um one of them came out to Can't Stop by the Chili Peppers, which is a fucking great song. And I was like, mm. with, the, with the flames going I thought that absolutely fits this moment right now. That's amazing how that is like, mm. and, and you hear the drums going and it's, and it's all building up. When I was watching Brentford Chelsea at the weekend, and I Just caught to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder came on
2: as the referee blew the halftime whistle. The half-time? <laughs> I noticed what? that. I... At first I what? thought, is this Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder? And <laughs> then I thought, oh no, I actually realised what song it is. And I thought, this is just, it's just, it might be, it's quaint, it's charming, but it just feels inappropriate in a footballing <laughs> context. Is that fair to say? <laughs> quaint and
3: charming, <laughs> like, like Brentford is. But you can't, I mean, obviously yeah. when they play Hey Jude before the game, it's amazing. Um, but it just <laughs> one of those where you went, are that there- no, they are the are the playing Stevie Wonder. And it yeah. did like a great like a medley, like my Sherry Amore afterwards. Come on, lads, let's get going for the second wait. Obviously <laughs> Obviously <laughs> got it got Mendy going, didn't it, for the second half. Yeah. He was flying.
2: <laughs> Certainly did. Um so yeah, of course you mentioned Blur Song 2. That's very much one of the staples of goal music. As is, of course, Sandstorm by Derud. Now, Dave, this has become a a very, very kind of established bit of goal music, but it's also responsible for possibly the saddest. Re- it's also responsible for possibly the saddest recorded instance of post-goal music. This is Tottenham taking the lead against Reading in a pre-season friendly last year. Gets it back from Eric Dyer, looking to bend that ball in for Son Hyung min Took it beautifully.
0: Morrison is back there, and it's headed. It's ended up in the back of the net. An own goal.
3: Oh my god!
2: <laughs> An own goal in a preseason friendly. Don't play to rude sandstorm. Don't do it. Don't do it. What on earth? I mean, this is, of course, when there was no crowds. There was no no fans were allowed in the stadium, so that was the reason they were doing it. But perhaps this is this That's is insane. massively inappropriate.
3: I mean, uh, let's be honest. It's a terrible song anyway. I mean, regardless of of what what situation it would be played, in. I couldn't think for one second where I would say, "Can you play that, please?" Because when you said Sandstorm, I thought, oh, I really like Cast.
2: (laughs) Then that came on, like
3: not that one and, and it's I know an awful cover man. version
2: <laughs> I, I, I know you're a guitar man I've read your review of uh, ACDC's Back in Black on the Guardian uh, absolutely sensational I, I really didn't know you had this many strings to your bow um, but okay so okay think back to your playing mm. career you scored the greatest goal of your career whatever that was what song what song would you want playing after as you wheel away in celebration I'd have Lightning Seeds Life of Riley because then it would just all, Brilliant. Would automatically assume it was the, one of the best 10 goals that, I mean that uh, and again it's,
3: it's such it's those emotional anchors isn't it you like you say that song is absolutely that listening to that it's amazing uh what would i like to be played you'd, you'd actually
1: need to signal to the sound man as you as you begin the amazing run yeah start <laughs> play it now get, get, the <laughs> it. get the intro get the intro
3: jesus christ oh, I'm, I'm trying to think what, what it would be it have to it, obviously you'd have to go along the lines of something that was really ca- kind of pumped up or uh, it, it would be something very boringly predictable, like a, a rock song or, I don't know, rock and roll style would be pretty cool, wouldn't it, if you had the kind of, um, the chorus of that kicking in. But um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's such a it's such an odd. The, the thing is with that as well, without boring you too much about this, and it never, very rarely happened in my career, putting the round thing in the big kind of rectangular thing with the net on the back. It, it's It's transcendent, the moment, because you, Fucking vanish, you disappear somewhere else. And then you come back and you go, it's either 20 people and a a dog going, What are you doing, mate? It means nothing to nobody. This what you're doing. Or it's something that's gloriously shared by a lot of people. And it's amazing. It's when we, and and to go off, off on a slight tangent, when you talk, as we have the ability to do, to talk to lads that are like wonderful goal scorers, or you watch. Lyle Taylor take a penalty. You watch Ivan Tony take a penalty. You watch um, Ollie Watkins. I'm not, not just mentioning Brentford players and uh, Nottingham Forest players. We had Glenn Murray in last night that we were chatting to. And trying to get into the specifics and the minutiae of how they do what they did, I found that absolutely fascinating. Because if I had time to think about it in front of goal, I would go completely to pieces. I miss penalties in penalty shootouts in training because I'm absolutely bricking it that much. It's pathetic. You'd be
2: scrolling through your Spotify
3: playlist, exactly. Go so lads, lads, yeah. lads, get this greatest hits on it? It's cast. It's it's all changed. It's a great album. You love them. You love them um but um but yeah and that that's that side of it has always fascinated me about being able to do that and the presumption that it's a straightforward thing when it's far from it
2: okay well it's good to know that um you know a a practising footballer is is
0: not on board with goal music that's reassuring <laughs> to know this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
2: Let's round things off with your final hatred of football. I quite like this one. I think we've been building up to this. because you, And then there's been a thread of self-deprecation all the way through this. You know, I wasn't that good. I'm rubbish. What am whoa, I, did, I, like, I come I, on. Whoa,
3: I didn't say I was rubbish. <laughs> Jesus
2: <laughs> Christ, <laughs> well, mate. There is, there is a
3: line. I'm, I'm going to crumble in a minute.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Um, Jim Brennan asked me to get that one in.
3: He said the point he was making at Stoke was, track your runner, you lazy sod. <laughs>
2: exactly, yeah. You're not prepared to put the answer. Yes. Anyway, yes. Let's hear your yeah. third and final hatred of the. I mean,
3: because we we love the Premier League and how elite it is. It's like Hollywood, isn't it on on a on a pitch, which is wonderful. But I think there is, there's there's certain people that you come across when you're discussing football and chatting about it, and we, we've now it's sprung forth from obviously possibly what we do at Sky that, that when you break down football and. Uh, to the nth degree and everyone's a pundit everyone's an expert and it takes away the kind of nuances of what it takes to get from a to b which is a wanting to do it as a kid to be someone actively saying we're going to pay you to do that as your job and it becomes obviously vocational it's wonderful uh presumption that football of a certain level is is relatively straightforward to get into and would have been a career choice if i could be asked. like i I, like i was i didn't want to do it I, i remember chatting to and this this goes hand in hand with a truly awful professional period at Swindon when we were as a team crap and 90% of the individuals were very poor as well and we had no team spirit we had several managers that couldn't save us from ourselves deservedly ended up getting relegated and thankfully they've they're in a position now where there is a, a lot of brightness and a lot of positivity about that place um but we i mean as as any group of responsible footballers do have to being relegated went for our first night out in Swindon I mean I mean that, h- how on earth would that not have pissed everyone off and caused a lot of trouble but one of the conversations that I had in a bar was about a fella chatting to me about playing football and 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 um <laughs> who'd have thunk it in the middle of Swindon after getting biffed and then he, he him relating his experience at I can't remember what how it, the denomination of this particular town was, whether it was a town, city, United, or, but playing for a club in Benidorm, which <laughs> was the basis of this conversation where oh, that no. was our middle ground. And I, I, I mean, I, and, and hopefully it comes across, that I'll, I'll chat and shoot the breeze with anyone, but <laughs> having having that used as the stepping stone of, well, I know what, it's like, you know what, what's like? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, things <laughs> not going right in football and I was what do you mean? He went. Well, I was over in Spain at Benny Don. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Doing what? Drinking? No, playing football. I like like that. I couldn't get my head around the fact that that was that was what the middle ground was. Well, yeah, we're all in it together. No, we're not. We're absolutely. And I'm not. And I'm not really not trying to be a dick about this, but we're not. <laughs> we're absolutely not. And then this conversation went. And then in the end, was like, I'll leave you to it. And we just went off. But that sense of um, uh, almost kind of. Sometimes that the dismissive tone that's used about say footballers that have spent a career and and the thing that intrigues me and the things that when I when we spend time with lads that have got to mid to late thirties and there is a take away the Premier League for example but there is a, a side of football that can become. That's when that, like I said, the vocation of it, the passion of it, is tested because there's good times, there's bad times. Not re- and it is all relative. I completely understand that when I'm discussing this part of playing football, but there are there are the leaner times when you've got to really stick in and, and make sure you realise why I love the game and what that love for the game affords you, your lifestyle, your your being able to look after your family, your friends, etc. Uh, the, the boring things of being um, a family unit where people go to work and do different things. It, it, there is that working aspect of what being a footballer is about. And that that element of of um, making it sound relatively straightforward of getting out the absolute bun fight of millions of kids wanting to do the same thing and being able to mm-hmm. then become a professional footballer. I've always fought footballers corners for that. Not because there's, not because it's a badge of honor, but it's like, it's really fucking hard yeah.
1: regardless of where you played it's really hard to do what you were doing there to then go and do it over there i was going to say michael cox wrote a piece on the athletic in, in a few months ago in the summer pretty much about that very point he was saying that i think if you look at the numbers in terms of the amount of kids that play football across the world it is by far the most difficult sport to get to the professional Level, even even just getting as you say, getting into sort of you know even semi professional, you know, or non league, or just in in the lower reaches of the, of the football league. Let alone being a top player in the Premier League, it's incredibly difficult to do. But 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 because it's the most played mm. sport in the world, and everyone feels like I've played a bit at school, I've played a bit of Sunday League, oh I had a trial, blah blah blah. We've I've, I've sort of know how it works, and I've sort of done it. But actually, you you
0: don't know, <laughs> you just
1: don't. It's, it's a million miles away from being able to do it successfully. I feel like I can't mention my
2: trial with Swindon Town anymore.
1: Um, <laughs> Adam, you'd have been better at Swindon than we were that season, mate. We
3: could have been teammates. Worry, do not worry about Stupid that. Stupid broken and, leg. And, and me, me screaming at you for misplaced passes and not making my passes look good.
2: <laughs> okay, so okay, so yes, I'm, I'm completely on board. Yes, professional football, very hard to get to the top of. But what I'm more interested in is your... Um, palpable irritation at having to talk to a member of public about playing football. Don't deny it now because that's exactly what happened. So, but this, Dave, this is why I want professional footballers on this podcast. I don't want to ask them what their pre-match meal was. Lord. I don't want to ask them whether they thought their international call-up was a prank. I want them to <laughs> confirm what the precise feeling is when someone who doesn't know anything about football talks to them about playing football and finally we've had it. They actually find it really irritating and they hate it. It's uh, fine. Uh, uh. You can say you're approachable. You can say you like talking to the fans. You, say, you can say, you know, or if you move abroad, you can say it's great. You can walk down the street and no one recognises you. You can say all of that, but just admit it. You hate, hate it when late yeah,
1: exactly.
3: and You get the, the 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 sense of the eye roll, which almost knocks you over. As you can see, it was like, oh my god, here we go. This this is what he thinks is the correct way to go about it. And it's it's funny because it, it it's the the um the kind of vast swathes of who I've spoken to and who you talk to in the, in the interactions that you have. And it's not it's not. Fans per se as as a as a group, it's specific individuals Oh, it's crap. I mean, i oh, shout You know, you like. Well, I mean, I can see how you could say that in the sense of what's gone on just there. I understand. I'm not. I'm not digging in too deep to what you just said, but I mean, it's not crap, is it? It's it's not. He's not mm. terrible because he's managed to do. I mean, there are, there are possibly people that stick out where you do kind of go. That is a total anomaly. How on earth is he getting paid to do this? <laughs> Which I always find quite funny when when that debate comes around. But it's um, there was there was a there was a fantastic piece. This must have been when I can't remember when this was um, a, a few years ago. it was talking about Raheem Sterling moving from Liverpool to Manchester City, and obviously the uproar uh, from a fan's point of view of. of can't believe he's done that, and I, and you could see this the um, the article was totally understanding what the fans were saying, but they were it was trying to put forth devil's advocate of why um, Raheem Sterling might not feel the same way, and it was basically saying, well, do you know how many times Raheem's probably seen the conversation where teammates gone uh, the parents are coming in and so oh, thanks but no thanks and thanks but no thanks and here's a contract but you're not getting a contract and that that as his career path went and obviously him going to the absolute very top of. People dropping by the wayside. And it is, it's slightly changing, I think. I've heard different things about it in the last decade or so, where there's, there's that approach where we understand how earth-shattering this news could be, Reli- relatively, of course. This kid who wants to be a footballer from the age of eight gets to 16 and says, thanks, but can you sod off now? Because you're not going to be any use to us, which is <laughs> fundamentally what it, it kind of boils down to. He would have seen that. So, therefore, he was plotting his career. It's like him talking now about not getting gained. I might go somewhere else. You can't say that. Well... Yes, I can because it's my job and it's it's my career. So if I'm not playing here, I'm going to bugger off to somewhere else, and that might happen. This is me paraphrasing Raheem Sterling, but that's that's what players like that have got to fight through to get to where they've they've got to get, and it takes character, it takes grit, It takes determination. I understand that it's not remotely curing any of the world's ills, but it's it's relative to their experience in the professional world, and it takes a hell of a lot of grit and determination to get there.
1: What do you think is the um if you can think of one, what's like the most misunderstood thing about being a footballer? But I mean, there is that other one and its I think it's
3: coming out of our of perception now where footballers are thick. You know what I mean? That, I mean? that. Why? I mean, after running around for an hour and a half, can't believe he didn't give me something really funny, witty and insightful. No, that's and he's still enough. sweating yeah. his balls off. Come on, <laughs> t- tell us what you th- or explain that goal to me. Well, the reason he can't explain that goal to you is because there, there might not be there might not be a strand of the way that his brain works that eloquently puts that forward. There is a, a strand of his brain that works in a way that we can only dream of because instinctively he was able to do that in the moment. So, And it, and it's a, a hes- I very much hesitate to use the word genius, but the, it's the instinctive ability to process problems at very high speed and for your brain to put out answer after answer after answer. That's what the very best players do. That is what the absolute very best players do. Some can explain it, say like Frank Lampard, some, and, and this is me not using these as, as polar opposites, but like a Wayne Rooney, who's who's got a lot better from a media point of view, but the things that he could do on the pitch, the instinct that he was born with, that was bred on the, on the streets of Liverpool, can't be explained because that's something utterly primal to him. And that's how he expresses himself. Some are more eloquent, some are less eloquent. Some are very good instinctively. Some are better tactically, technically. That's what I love about it. And, and with that, again, so, sorry to... Uh, hijack this podcast just for me to talk about why I love football. Um, But that's the most amazing thing. Watching people do things that you can't do, but not necessarily being able to explain them either, I think is one of the most wonderful things. Asking, asking. um, this only comes to my mind because I was reading articles about it at the weekend. Paul McCartney trying to explain song lyrics, dreaming about yesterday. Asking John Lennon, have you heard this song? Asking George Martin, have you heard this song? No, no oh shit, I've I've dreamt this song and it will then be, go on to become one of the most covered and recorded songs of all time. That came out of absolutely nowhere. Wayne Rooney's overhead kick against Manchester City. That's gone over me. You'll tackle on Robert I tackle a, No, that was premeditated. I really <laughs> disliked him. Really disliked <laughs> I actually saw him in, in Euro 2016 in one of the media compounds. Oh the, God. And someone said to me, go and say something to me. I said, do you honestly think A... He remembers and be he remotely gives a shit about me going, um, Robert, the, the reason you might have a slight scar on the inside of your ankle is because I hatched you down. 11 years ago, around this time, I, I thought, Nally.
2: <laughs> suddenly he, he, it turns out he's got idiot Pratton on his <laughs> yeah, phone.
3: Yeah. Oh, he was rocking. In, <laughs> oh, that was me, he was, was rocking in the corner of the compound <laughs> yeah. when he saw me, like, like some <laughs> like, Vietnam veteran. Alone.
2: Jesus leave Christ. Well, anyway, a, a spirited defense of the footballing profession there from future PFA chairman David Pratton. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, aren't you? Ha- what? What career are you happy <laughs> exactly. with? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so greedy. So humble. I'll be a
3: great Tread Unionist, when I? Christ my. You certainly would.
2: <laughs> so let, let's, let's recap. We've talked about um, playing in front of the noise and energy of big crowds. We've lamented the death of the diving header, rarely seen nowadays. You, you've expressed a very curious um, liking for players jumping over the advertising hoardings to get the ball back, despite there being ball boys around to do it for them. <laughs> you've enjoyed teammates arguing on the pitch, which I think we can all agree with. Um, you've expressed some... Um, Massive distaste for the phrase "there" or "thereabouts," <laughs> so I'd like to see you use that. Yeah, that's very definitely getting used. Starry Sports, please. Thank you. Uh, goal music, uh, very much the uh, very much the universal dislike of pretty much everybody. That's fair enough. And then, finally, a, a very, very, very <laughs> spirited speech about how annoying it is when people try to talk to you about being a footballer when they haven't got a clue. Um, glad you came on this podcast, then. Uh, <laughs> David Pratton you've been been absolutely wonderful thanks for joining us it's been a pleasure chaps
3: like I said without blowing smoke up your ass, it's better to do that at the start than people are nice to you aren't they Uh, I Mm. I listen to it a lot I think it's very very good like I said I love the intricacies and the minutiae of how we use vocabulary and I love the fact that there's a a whole uh, kind of feel to be picked up on, on stuff like this and I'm so acutely aware of it now that I mean people might say I'm robotic at the best of times but oh my god I'm going to be sat there writing and rewriting every single little thing <laughs> that <laughs> is possible Clichés possibly... are not a
2: crime, David <laughs> Well,
3: and th- that's the thing, isn't it? The clichés are seen as, as something that we should veer away from, but the reason
2: clichés and stereotypes exist is because they're so unbelievably prevalent, aren't they? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, well, in that case, you're very welcome. <laughs> um, cheers to you, Dave. Thank you. Cheers to you, Prats. Cheers, fellas. And have a lovely weekend, everybody else. See ya.
0: The Athletic.